the Smart Life Podcast, episode four. Hello, and welcome back to the Smart Life Podcast. This episode, we are live at Bosch's brand new innovation hub at the Smart Homes and Buildings Association's Retailer and Manufacturers panel. Here with me to discuss the importance and implications of product and data security, as well as privacy by design in the smart home, are... Andreas Davidson, um, Tech Data, European Business Development Manager, Smart Home, um, coming from Amsterdam. I'm Carl Shaw, co-founder of Cerberus Security Laboratories. Chris Simmons, Amazon Account Manager for Europe at Yale. Naeem Adam, Head of Trading at AO.com. Thank you very much for uh, joining us today, panel. So the first question that we wanted to cover off here was, um, how big an impact do we think that uh, concerns around data privacy and the security of data, uh, how big is an impact is that having on the uptake of smart home devices throughout the market? Yeah, so um, I think uh, there's a, a wider issue, actually. So when it comes to um, privacy, I think, first of all, we've got a, an um, umbrella fear factor, I think, in smart homes. So fear of the unknown. So customers don't understand smart home anyway. We've got a challenge, which, which we all know, which we've talked about a lot today. Um, and I think what happens there is uh, because the media has almost kind of exacerbated this um, by kind of, um, the, you know, the stories about people hacking into webcams and all that kind of stuff. Also, there's advertising. So, you know, are people um, listening in? So are Instagram and Facebook listening in and serving up purpose-built <laughs> adverts and all that kind of stuff. I think there's a fear factor there that's overarching smart home anyway and then on top of that you've got the challenge of not knowing what you're buying so i think you've already you're kind of already up against it um i think uh the challenge kind of uh continues there on <laughs> i think it's a really interesting question around um skepticism of data and how it's being used by companies uh, I remember a couple of, well, maybe a couple of years ago now, there was a photo of Mark Zuckerberg at his desk yeah. with a bit of tape over his webcam. And his um, microphone. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, do you think that you know, things like that are helping perpetuate the risk that people have or the, the perceived risk there is in inviting this technology into their homes? I think, I think people worry a lot more because of it, because of those kinds of things. But I think the, the other challenge as well is that because the manufacturers for smart home don't necessarily talk about these things so uh, a lot of people don't know and you know even if you go to Amazon Echo uh, the, the product pages on the website or the Google product pages they don't talk about the the manual switch off for the microphone so something really simple like that we don't ever talk about it even the retailers don't talk about it so you can take the microphone off and that is a simple thing if you don't talk about it then people instantly get paranoid so I think that's that's one of the challenges so I, I, I think in general it's the awareness of you know the potential risk that you're exposed to so i have a, a couple of like really tech savvy friends and i would have expect them to be early adopters with the um voice enabled speakers but actually they're <laughs> they're adverse to them because probably they know more than myself and the general consumer about the potential risk and you know by digging into it and preparing also for today a little bit I found out that I'm really unaware of what's the potential risk and what's happening with my data. So I found out that I can download <clears throat> um, my personal, personal Google database. And I found out it's somewhere between 50 and 100 gigabytes of data that Google has on me personally 
Um, I don't know what they're doing with this data. I don't know, you know where it's going, who's, who's able to access this data. So I think I, what I would like to see as a consumer is um, be informed more, uh, be made aware of the potential risk, and then what the, the manufacturer is doing to cover these risks. And I don't want to find out by you know, YouTube videos or pictures from Mark Zuckerberg that I'm at risk at somehow. I think it's an interesting question. I think you can answer it in two halves. So the first bit is, is, is privacy an issue for sure. You know, you look at um, Huawei, you look at the issues around Facebook. Uh, I typed in a very general smart home search yesterday and the first two questions that came up were, is the smart home secure and can my thermostat be hacked? So they were the top two searches on Google for smart home, which is very interesting and insightful. So clearly privacy is an issue. And then in terms of, is it holding back adoption? Well, if you look at the numbers themselves, you know, 75 million or around that mark, uh, voice devices were sold last year. That to me doesn't sound like um, there is, um, it's being held back in any way as a result of privacy. So as um, more people come into the smart space, I think people are giving data more willingly. And I think as, especially generationally, we are more acceptant that our data will be with the big companies. And actually, as long as we get an enhanced service from that, i.e. targeted ads, something relevant to me. So I've been looking for a chair for my bedroom for a while. Instagram is just flooding move pictures until actually I bought one last week, which is great. So that to me was actually, I didn't see that as a hindrance. I see that as a benefit. It's made my life easier. I haven't got to go searching around all these retailers for it. So, so overall, for sure, it's an impact. But as long as consumers are comfortable giving data, I think they will continue to, to invest in smart products. Yeah, I mean, I looked into this as well <clears throat> in more detail. Um, the statistics are interesting because um, there was a study by the um, Department of Digital Culture, Media, Sport. Um, we're asking whether people, you know, took into account things like privacy or security when they were buying products. So about half people said they took it into account for security and about 30% for privacy. Um, what I can see is that, okay, you've got the intent of the people, but it comes down to the information as well. There really isn't enough information for people to evaluate the products correctly, you know. I mean, I, I, part of my job is evaluating the security of um, devices. And for us to evaluate it, it takes oh, about a month generally to go into detail. So to summarize that even in a very short, succinct way for a consumer, for instance, would be incredibly difficult. Um, but um, so I think what's happening is the, the consumers, you know, they're trying to solve a complex problem that they don't know anything about by answering a simple problem, which usually comes down to, do I trust this brand? Has this brand been on media? Have they been, you know, shown to have security problems or not? So it's all about perception, I think. Um, I think that's a really interesting thing, especially when we look at um, the data and or the, the way that data is used on, for example, mobile mobile phones. You know, everybody is willingly carrying around a mobile microphone yeah, and camera in their pockets, which they have next to them in bed, which they have next to them on their desk every day. And there is, we've all become very used to that. Do you think that a lot of this perceived risk is because the technology is still new? Um, because actually we, we, we are inviting almost more developed and advanced technology into our homes every day without even questioning it. Yeah, I, I think it's actually because a lot of people don't understand the implications. I mean, as you were saying earlier, somebody who's really tech savvy generally, you know, I am, I don't have an Alexa. <laughs> but <laughs> for that very reason, you know, I, I know what data can be collected, how it can be triggered, how it can be fooled. Um, you know, so, so I'm very skeptical. Um, 
I also want to know where my data goes. You know, you're right. Mm. Google, for instance, collects huge amounts of data. I mean, if you want to see where you've been for the last couple of years, you can look on their uh, map that's tracked you. <coughs> and, uh, it, it's a great reminder, but for, as far as privacy goes, it's, it's a bit disturbing. So, yes, I, I think a lot of it is, you know, public knowledge. Um, I think um, speaking on behalf of AO, we we kind of pride ourselves in making sure that whenever we go into a category, uh, we go in knowing everything about the, the product that we're trying to sell uh, and also what the obstacles are and barriers are um, to kind of purchase. So with Smart Home, we're, we're now reevaluating the journey uh, because we feel like it's almost like our responsibility to do so. And um, so when we did our initial research, what we found is that there's kind of five main barriers to entry uh, the biggest one is always price um, but actually 40% uh, of cons customers um, said that they wouldn't buy a smart home product because of privacy or security concerns that's before uh, interoperability I can't say the word kind of compatibility issues they didn't have that as one of the highest ranking factors is more privacy and security so uh, we now need to reevaluate how we talk to customers on making sure that they feel comfortable that their data is being used in you know a, a way to kind of help them rather than for for commercialization purposes a lot of the the issues that people have is that they don't like the idea of um not necessarily the fact that a speaker can hear everything that's being said because obviously that that's just how it works but more that that data is being sent off. They don't know where, they don't know who's listening to it. They don't, uh, you know, they think that, you know, it's people sat on the end listening to it with a pair of headphones, you know, and making the decisions that the speaker has, you know, for them. Um, so one of the big things that comes up with a lot of consumers is they like the idea of the functionality, but they would much rather the data stayed within the home. Now, based on, you know, how all of these devices actually work, you know, how practical is that? Um, you know, from a design point of view, almost, you know, we talk about privacy by design. If we say, well, let's let's rebuild the way that these systems work and keep the data in the home, you know, is that going to, would that make people more inclined to use this? Or, you know, do, is then that going to increase the risk of, you know, people having big old data sets in their home that are, that are more targetable, you know, as security risks? Um... I mean, uh, I, I see what you mean. I mean, when it comes to monitoring, as an example, as a category, uh, there are some brands that already have onboard memory. Um, but I think the challenge there is for consumers is, will it have enough memory? Do I need to buy some extra? Even if it works that cheaper than, you know, subscribing to uh, like a monthly subscription. We were talking about earlier about how the market uh, consumers are used to pay monthly now or getting more and more used to it. And I think that'll probably continue. I'm not sure if customers are that worried or concerned or think about where their footage, if you like, is physically kept. I think they care about convenience uh, when it comes to monitoring and maybe about are they, you know, is the camera pointed in the right place? Is it pointed at the neighbours, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think I think there might be a, an issue there, but I think the customer will always be, will always look at the, the immediate purchase price first uh, rather than where where everything's kept in the cloud. Looking from the technical side of things as well, um, basically the whole IoT infrastructure at the moment is is based on the centralised cloud model. 
effectively. You, you've got devices that tend to talk point to point. So, so you've got a device, for instance, your, your Alexa, if you want to communicate with a device right beside you, goes up to the cloud, does something, comes back down again. So energy-wise, okay, that's not a great thing. <laughs> You're using a lot of uh, servers, whatever. But it's also using the cloud for the voice processing. So if you were to move that locally, you would have to start moving that compute power from the cloud down to the edge. So and a big issue with that is that it'll increase, increase the cost of the devices. Um, because plus the technology itself, you're only starting to get AI type chips that are, that are becoming available for edge nodes. And, and that's the technology that you need to be able to do voice recognition and more complex like video analytics and stuff. <clears throat> so you lose the economy of scale effectively that you've got in the cloud. Um, you do simplify some things. Um, but the other thing you, you, you do lose, which um, Nuki earlier alluded to, is interoperability. A lot of these consumer devices are built on platforms, and those platforms are cloud-based. So, so if you were to move that locally, then you have to start <laughs> thinking about how your devices can um, cooperate at a local level. And as somebody else mentioned, the, the ecosystem's very split between manufacturers. They don't cooperate very well. So you need some sort of a shared standard where devices can talk and communicate. Agree completely with you, Carl. Um, interoperability will drop massively, so you lose the USP of the smart home. Um, but at the same time, from a, from a manufacturer point of view, um, we lose the ability, well, you know, we do harvest data through customer interactions with our smart locks or for our alarm um, or for our CCTV. And, and that provides, you know, it's a real gold mine and we're not using that for, for malicious purposes. We're using it for, to influence our product development. You know, what, you know, are consumers unlocking their alarm via their phone, via a key fob, via an RFID tag? What should we be investing in more? So I think if we look at, um, you know, the growth of smart home on a basis of, um, manufacturers innovating on a consistent basis and then customers being willing to adopt that technology because it's convenient or useful in some form, we'll break that cycle because we essentially will just have like a hard break on a lot of our uh, NPD. Um, so yeah, so, uh, and like Carl said, I think it, it's probably largely unrealistic to think that we can have the computing power within the home without some serious advancements. And, and the last thing I'd say is, you know, looking at the type of customer that is fearful of their data on a cloud going up and down a, to and from a cloud, you know, would they then also have the same argument if they had, I don't know, a brain within the house? Would they then have the same fears, but just around that being hacked? So are we actually just moving the problem around or are we actually going to solve the problem? Yeah, so again, I also fully agree with, with the statements just gave. I, I think we had a really interesting discussion earlier on about, you know, smart home and what stage of development we are. And, you know, you, you also mentioned that voice is just maybe a starting point, right? It's it's not really smart yet. You need to give instructions all the time. You sometimes have to interrupt what you're doing to give instructions to your smart home. And moving, you know, the intelligence to your home and not, not opening opening it you know in, in the cloud and share it around that that will have a huge impact in the development of you know schemes and and um uh, automation of the home not not needing to uh use your voice anymore so I, th I think it's there's no getting away anymore from the cloud but we need to make sure that we know where the data is and what's happening to the data instead yeah i i, I think i would i mean clarify my position really i think you're right for the minute it, 
the, the whole system's designed on the cloud and we can't really avoid that at the moment as things evolve. In future, maybe the only way I can see to avoid it is to put a local hub that basically can interrupt with standards that, for instance, manufacturers could put their own apps on that could talk to each other. Um, but I think the manufacturing community is a long way from that at the moment. Mm -hmm. But in terms of privacy, there are great benefits for doing that, yeah. reducing the amount of money, uh, data that goes up to the cloud. The, the other thing is scalability as well, because actually we've got quite a small amount of smart devices at the moment. As that scales up, the amount of traffic going up to the cloud is going to be probably too much than the networks can actually bear. Um, so. So that's another reason you may have to, in future, start looking at more local cooperation. You might, might be forced that way or by regulation. So, I mean, no, no matter where, uh, you know, the data is, is going to, for, for now, for argument's sake, let's say it stays within the cloud. You know, that's, that's how we've built it so far. Um, now, Chris, you mentioned just then that, you know, you're quite open that you harvest data and you use it to improve your systems. Mm. Um, and a large, a large part of what consumers say about why they distrust a lot of these corporates in terms of uh, their data is how it's being used. Um, now, really interestingly, you look at certain uh, corporates, for example, Apple are completely shifting their messaging away from you know, feature-driven uh, marketing to um, their headline message now is, we won't sell your data. You know, and that's, how they're, that's the messaging they're using to sell their products. Um, if you look at sort of privacy and trust and, and how data is handled as itself a unique selling point, do you think that we could potentially see two almost two different business models? One focused on, you know, harvesting data and selling it in order to target ads or, you know, services better. And one saying, well, do you know what? Okay, you're, you're going to pay a premium, but the data that, you know, you're going to give us will only ever be used to improve the service rather than with any third parties. So I suppose the assumption there is if we look at a company like Apple, as you discussed, so we're saying that Apple's USP is that they are securing data where obviously they had an open spat with Mark Zuckerberg about Facebook doing basically the opposite. So I've personally never heard anyone say to me, I, I've got an Apple phone because it protects my, they protect my data. Never heard that once. I hear, I love iOS. I love the design. So I, Yes, they, they can push it as a USP, but I don't think it's a true selling USP, in, in my opinion. I think we'll ultimately sell, you know, if, if we start to go down that, that road where actually we can charge more because we're protecting data, that just creates a larger barrier in the smart home. Because as Naeem said, the largest barrier we all know is, is currently price and getting customers to trade up, say, from like a traditional normal or dumb non-smart product to a smart product, which may have 50 to 100 pound price difference, that we're just going to make that issue worse. And we'll make the smart home slightly more elitist, which we don't, we, we want it to be in everyone's hands, we want it to be mass market. So, so my answer to the question is actually, uh, yes, there's, there's certain room probably for some brands to do it. But I think overall, it's still price design, um, convenience, etc. They're going to always be the pervasive uh, uh, USPs for smart home brands. Yeah, I think a lot of the push towards privacy is probably more fear of legislation at the moment than probably reality. Are we going to see almost two different markets where you say, you know, elitist products, you know, where you can charge more because you don't have to rely on or you're, because you can't rely on selling that data to third parties, you can afford to charge more for the product. Um, and there was a really interesting uh, case that came out of, I don't know if anyone saw it, um, 
there was an issue with uh, a smart watch that was being uh, marketed to uh, children. Um, uh, and so parents could essentially help track, you know, where, where they were, they had a GPS tracker. And if the child got lost, it had a stored emergency contact and all the rest of it. Now, as it turned out, you know, it was a relatively uh, low price point for the smartwatch. It wasn't a big piece of technology, but it was also totally unsecured. It had ad tracks in it. Um, it could be completely hacked and anyone that had access to it, there was no encryption at all, could find the GPS and the contact information of any child wearing this watch. Um, now, obviously, that's something that, you know, because of its lower price point, it was, you know, almost there was a, a, a separate source of revenue from the manufacturers. You know, do you think that we are at risk of, you know, depending on how how highly we, uh, you know, corporations or manufacturers prioritize privacy, you know, we are going to see a split in the market, you know, for, for AO, where your consumers are worried about this, yeah. you know, even OK, everyone says, oh, you're going to hack my fridge, you're going to find out what's in it. But actually, a lot of the time, these devices are gateways to the rest of the yeah. network. And is that, you know, also how how clued up are your consumers on on what the risks actually are, as opposed to what the perceived risks are? I think most consumers would um, probably expect the manufacturers to make sure that um, their privacy isn't at risk. So when uh, um, when we're looking at arranging certain brands or certain categories, certain products, uh, we go through quite a rigorous process ourselves just to make sure that everything's above board. Uh, and even our brand onboarding process is is probably a, you know a bit too rigorous just to make sure that we've done our due diligence to make sure that the customer is um is you know secure in every way possible there are some issues you know some issues that we can't avoid unfortunately but i think consumers generally speaking uh, would probably expect both the retailer and the manufacturer to own that bit of it for, for them is to enjoy their product um, and you know, uh, as I say, it's it's the it's the manufacturers, but it's also the retailers' responsibility to take that uh, you know issue or that concern away from the customer to give them peace of mind. And is that something that rigorous onboarding process? You know, is that something that you market to your consumers as you know a benefit of using AO is that we actually we can take a lot of that worry away from you? Uh, we don't. Um, I think part of the reason is probably because um, they probably assume. That we're going to do that anyway, and that most retailers retailers would do that anyway, uh, and also uh, it might just sound like a PR story, really. So I think we we just got to we just got we got to make sure that we we stay true to what we know uh, is is the right thing to do for the consumer. Now, Chris, you said something really interesting again about um, you know where ads are being served for the benefit. Is there perhaps an argument here for the fact that, okay, you've got all these devices collecting all of these different data points, you know, rather than play down, you know, the fact that, um, you know, the manufacturers aren't going to sell that data, say, well, you know, we are going to take that data and when we're going to use it to create a better, you know, usability experience, because you're going to see ads anyway. That's just how these platforms operate. You know, if you can say, can we sell this to consumers to say, do you know what, if you're going to have to see 20 ads, while you're using it, you, you might as well make them relevant to your interests. Um, or does that potentially open up the risk of people being very much in a kind of closed personal bubble that they only see what they agree with and they only see what, you know, is attractive to them. And, you know, then we see issues that people don't see uh, a world outside of their own sort of sphere of interest. 
Firstly, I can vouch for the AO onboarding process. It was pretty rigorous for Yale. And we didn't actually, I don't think we even made it on site, did we? So it's, obviously we didn't clear that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, uh, to answer your question, I think it's all got to be about, if when we're interacting with customers and their data, it has to be about opt-in. You know, the customer needs to be part of the journey and part of the choice. If they don't want their data to be harvested or, and they don't want it to be action. So when I say harvested, yeah, we don't ever sell it to anyone. We just use it for internal purposes and that's all signed up for. But, um, but yeah, if, if that's going to happen, the customer needs to be aware. So they need to be aware if they're going to be retargeted with ads. Um, they need to know that the company is in some way, I suppose, making money from them or, or whatever you want to call it. But essentially, like, if it adds value to their life, like it did to me with my looking for a chair scenario, then like, that's that's not a problem. I'm more than happy. But there's a, a big sway of the customers we know won't be happy. And let's not force it down their throat. Let's just let them be have their own preferences. But then we'll, we'll target and get the most out of the people who actually want to give their data and are happy for, for the opt-in method. So yeah, I, I'm personally trying to avoid uh, uh, personalized uh, advertisement just because of I'm getting more and more aware of the bubble, you know, that's potentially there. And once you get in, I think it's really hard to get out. You, you, you know, go in further and further. So, um, but I think in smart home, um, we're in it for the long run, right? I, I see, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, it's not a, a trend or, you know, a, a fashion thing. And I think that uh, vendors that are focusing on Get a, pro a product in the living room to sell ads. I think they they probably are lacking somehow the functionality of of the actual purpose of a smart home product. So, my personal opinion is that that it might be a trend and it's a potential risk. But I think in the in the long term, um, it shouldn't be about that. And I I think a end user won't accept a um, inferior um, product experience. Um, uh, and, and, you know, knowing their data will be sold, uh, in the long run. So yeah, that's my, my personal, um, opinion. I guess it does open up some interesting use cases where a user can choose to share their data to get some, um, you know, tangible reward from it. Um, I mean, there are some academic projects that do this at the moment. There's thing called hub of all things where you can choose to share your data with different, um, um, service providers. Um, but yeah, I, I think generally you're right to, to get a proper smart home. You know, if, if people have ads forced at them all the time, even if they are targeted or untargeted, you're not going to get a very good user experience. That's something really interesting. I mean, a lot of the um, service-based entertainment uh, platforms, for example, you take a look at YouTube, has YouTube Premium, Spotify, Spotify Premium, you know, uh, all of them will serve ads and you can pay extra to have those ads um, you know, not served you. Um, but I suppose that, you know, that's something different from paying more to have the ads not served as opposed to having, you know, being able to pay less in order for a company to collect your data. Mm. Um, but, you know, in terms of, you know, we, we talk about the smart home as a service and beginning to offer these products, um, you know, as part of a subscription based service, you know, is the potential for companies to use your data? Could that be used almost as a price incentive, you know, have a reduction in your monthly cost if a company can use the way you use it to help their product development for example uh that's a really interesting point actually i think um 
you know, personally, I think consumers will be open to that. Uh, it depends on the level of discount, but some people just aren't that bothered and um, are, you know, especially the early adopters are quite interested in in um, helping R&D and being involved in that process. So I think, I think potentially there is something there. Uh, yeah. All of the brands or the majority of brands that I know uh, who, who do charge for recurring revenue models will already be using that data. To be honest, so it's almost a rather than giving a reduction, it's already happening. Uh, you know, not for the sales aspect, but like I said, for the harvesting. So, I think it's much more prevalent than is probably known um, amongst con- end consumers. You know, I've seen like banks of screens of current usage data of across you know some of the major major players, and uh, like we know it's being used. It's just it is a barrier between what we know and then what the rest of the UK population or global population actually thinks happening with their data. Right. Well, I think on that, um, I think we're going to open it up to the floor. So um, does anybody uh, have any questions? Adam Williams, Chief Revenue Officer, Lightwave. It's more an observation. I'll, I'll try and turn it into a question, but the discussion seems to be around whether or not these companies have the right to share the data and therefore your model is, can you, you know, can you put a wall around that? But, and maybe it's a clarifying question. I thought the whole point of GDPR was that it's designed to protect consumer data and prevent the use of that data. Now it's mainly applied towards marketing. You won't, you know, unless I opt in, but surely, or does anybody know enough about GDPR to advise? Surely the same applies in this case. And the other observation in that is this discussion, like every discussion that I've taken part in around this topic around data is that we tend to mix together the the sensitive customer specific data with the anonymized data. The real value of most of the data that comes off a smart home, so I don't give a stuff that you're called Bob Watkins and you live at 47 Acacia Avenue, is that you're a house in this area that has this profile because it's the, the value of the aggregated data that's of value. So should the delineation be put between the, the customer owns their own sensitive personal data, that's theirs, there's a currency to that, and, and, and the model is not, well, if you're prepared to pay a premium, you get access to services. It should be, no, 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 that's my data. That's my currency. Data currency is sensitive data. The aggregated stuff is, well, if I opt into you having the aggregated stuff, then I get services for free because the entire model, Facebook, we won't solve this in this room, by the way, sorry to depress everybody, but you know, Facebook and everybody else and Google and all the rest of it, you know, their entire model is built on, you get, nobody pays for Facebook. You get Facebook for free because you're providing your currency, which is your data, into that platform. That, that model's not going to change. So are we, have we got, the, I guess the question that comes out of that is, have we got the right lens on this between sensitive personal data, where there are laws protecting people and they need to be upheld, and services that smart home manufacturers could think about on the use of that aggregated data, and is there a new contract with that consumer? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right for GDPR. If it's personal data, then it's protected under the law. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no dispute about that. So I think what we're talking about here is, you know, one of the allowed things from GDPR is to anonymize that data. Yeah. As long as it's completely anonymized, and that is particularly difficult to do, actually. Um, but with that anonymized data, that's the th- sort of thing that manufacturers tend to be a lot more interested in because they can look at failure rates of components and how things are being used. Um, on a general sense, but not, like you say, not for a particular bulb or, 
Yeah. So that uh, anonymized data, right? It's really hard to really secure that it's anonymized, right? And it's it's, it's like um, uh, how do you say uh, uh, horror thinking? But if you look at the developments in China, right, where you know security agencies are uh, given data, and you know you, you you're being fined because you're walking across a red light and those kind of things, right? Who says it doesn't happen? It will happen here at some time or in some country. And then there's like <laughs> immense databases with my personal data, with maybe some text with my name and companies can use that, right? So it's a really gray area of, of um, uh, yeah, what's personalized data and what's, what's anonymized. So that's where my concern is for the most part. So Adam Simon from Context. So I, I have a question, which is we're talking about privacy by design. And so that really focuses on particularly manufacturer's responsibility. But I'd like to talk about um, the distributors and the retailers' responsibility. What responsibility, so addressing the question first to you, Andreas, and then to you, Naim, what responsibility do you feel you have as a distributor um, and now I'm you as a retailer to make sure that the end customer is aware of the risks associated with smart home products. And sometimes it goes completely against commercially wanting to sell products to put barriers in the way. But there's also an ethical question, should there not be a little bit more responsibility taken at all parts of the supply chain in order to inform people of the risks. So, so uh, it, it's, it's it's a very layered question, but generally I think everybody in the industry has a obligation to do some due diligence on, you know, who are you working with, right? We as a, a public company, we have to be compliant in, in a lot of ways. And, and I, I would say this also includes, you know, making sure that, that your offering is um, somehow a bit you know, checked for. Um, but to be honest, I think, you know, the complexity of the topic, um, you know, you're in the need of experts that can give you proper advice, right? And that is a whole different investment and a whole different kind of business that you're in um, when you get to that point. So we're talking about protecting end use in, in the end, right? And I, I think the end user should be protected by law in the first place, right? And then... After that, we all have some obligation to do uh, due diligence. We obviously check what kind of companies we work with, but again, you know, we don't do a really deep dive on the on the on the privacy aspect of of things. So um, there's still a lot of work to be done, to be honest. Uh, also, from our part as a uh, distributor. Yeah. So um, as I mentioned earlier, we uh, have a quite a rigorous kind of onboarding process when it comes to brands. Um, sounds like we're overly uh, kind of complicating things or overly being awkward but it's more to make sure that the customer uh, is at the heart of everything that we do um, but I think there's another responsibility as well which is um, so once they're, they're on is selling them the right product and also when they uh, when we're selling them the right product it's making sure that they're making an informed decision so um, you know are they buying the right product are they aware that there's you know as I mentioned earlier they, there is a way to manually switch off microphones and all that kind of stuff nobody talks about it now because it draws the eyes to that 
Yeah, so Amazon and Google don't talk about it potentially because of that reason. Uh, it might be because uh, of, of other reasons, um, such as because they kind of want it to be all on, otherwise it won't work. Um, and then there's the kind of long-term view as well, which is when these products are in your house, are you going to start getting adverts just suddenly speaking to you in the middle of, you know, from the corner of your room? And I think the uproar would be you know, pretty immense, especially in the UK. But um, it's it's happening now. There's trigger words, aren't there, on, on Alexa, Google, not so much. But um, so when it comes to retailing, uh, we, um, especially at AO, we, we kind of have to take a step back and uh, look at basically all the different uh, factors. So, you know, even encryption, even, you know, compatibility, are these products going to be hacked? That kind of thing. And do you think it would ever get to the stage where before customers signed up to a product, you would actually have a checklist of things you would say to the customer, make sure that you've changed the password, make sure, you know, these types of things. Would you go that far? Uh, potentially. I mean, it depends because you don't want to unnecessarily slow down the journey. Um, and it's not from a commercial aspect. It's more uh, from a simplicity kind of point of view um, because some customers just want to buy. Mm. So um, there is an opportunity, however. So once they've bought the product to then send them uh, an email to say, you just bought this product. Did you know that you can do this, that and the other? So we do that with uh, computing at the moment. So every customer gets an email to say, um, you know, how long you charge your laptop for, you know, all the basic stuff. Um, change your password on your router, all that kind of stuff. So uh, we do that now. Uh, and the customer, if they don't feel like uh, they want to keep the product, then they can still return it. Um, but I think it, there's, there's a certain amount of stuff that you put pre-journey because it could just slow down the journey. Just to add that, I mean, working in security, one, one of the things I really feel strongly about is that security should be transparent. So you shouldn't need for an end user to, to have to go and change the password. You shouldn't be shipping with default passwords in the first place, although a lot of devices do. Um, so I mean, you shouldn't be pushing that stuff to a consumer. It should ship with a stuff that's already pre-configured where possible um, and as secure as possible. I mean, and this is where the privacy by design bit comes in. Um, it should be designed to be secure. Thanks, it's Rob, Rob from Azidio. Um we get asked to explain what security our products have. Um, and when I reach out to the development teams to explain this, they usually come back with some sort of jargon or, or acronym. And I think we need to change the, the narrative. And we're talking about risks of data security. Well, what happens to the data? And is that necessarily a, a bad thing? It's actually an enabler to enable all the smart stuff to work properly. So I think we need a lot more transparency and we need to communicate to people in common English language. Um, so I think as a follow-up question uh, to the panel, obviously um, Adam mentioned the, the difference between sort of personal data uh, and a lot of the anonymized sort of usage data. Do you think there is more to be done by the smart home industry here? Um, you know, as, as uh, Rob said there too, to educate the end consumer on the differences between that data and said, okay, yes, we collect your data, but you know, we don't know it's you. And frankly, we don't care that you're sat watching Emmerdale on a Wednesday night. You know, it's, it's more about the devices themselves. Do you think that we as an industry can do more to, to educate the consumer on the differences between the types of data that there are? Or again, is that going perhaps beyond the realm of common English, what most people 
can and would understand. Yeah, I mean, this this is what we came came back to earlier is that it's very hard for consumers to understand in the first place. You know, they they all hear the terms privacy, security, you see the news, the media feeds on things getting hacked, but but what does that actually mean to a lot of people? You know, all all they think is this product's bad, this one's good. Um, but they don't know that until after it's been hacked, effectively. Mm. So I, I think we generally, as as an industry, don't communicate very well. And and again, maybe again, we shouldn't need to communicate because, um, as you said earlier, um, it's consumers trust the manufacturers. That's the practically probably the number one person they trust is to give them a secure device. I think it's it's on um, all stages of the supply chain. So from manufacturer up to, to retailer, it's, it's our job to be transparent and to increase that transparency because with transparency brings trust. The customer knows who they're dealing with. Then the more we try and shy away from it and try and you know say it's not, our, it's not the manufacturer's issue to message um, where data goes, actually it completely is. And the only way we'll remove barriers within a smart home is if we actually aggressively try and, like we've said, a few times today, reduce the jargon, come up with some sort of simplistic approach, which customers understand. You, you never know then we can see um, adoption and penetration increasing in alignment, which is what we all want. But especially you say on a, on a brand level, a lot of the, the, the older incumbent brands, we, we still speak as brands rather than, um, you know, uh, in rather than in consumer speak, which is actually really important. So it's something a lot of the guys I know are, are working with specialist agencies to say like, actually, what stage is the customer in the buying process when they land on our page on Amazon or any retailer? What do we need to be telling them? So in the case of smart door locks, um, it's very apparent that customers just don't trust. Well, there's a lack of trust around, firstly, the products being hacked. Um, um, and secondly, you know, the reliability of uh, something electronic on your door, whereas a mechanical key obviously is just, it's, it's pretty simple. So there's a big messaging piece for the smart lock industry, especially in the UK to grow. And that is purely through transparency. So that's saying as Yale, uh, I'm sure Nuki the same, are working on really hard behind the scenes to understand what the customers want to hear to convert them from a 50 pound lock to a, to a 200 pound or 100 pound smart lock, you know? So transparency is absolutely critical. To add to that, I think privacy is way larger than just smart home. So I think generally, again, you know, what 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 does GDPR contain, right? What what are my uh, rights as a consumer with, with, that, uh, with that law, right? I think there's um, much more to know about the general privacy than just within smart home. And I think if we, if we can overcome that, it will be a lot easier for smart home as well to, um, to develop in a safe way. Hi, this is Jeet from Deltador. Um, just a personal opinion, personal view, not necessarily what my company would say, but um, just to sort of reiterate what uh, <laughs> Dr. Shaw mentioned earlier about uh, the onus and uh, the education. Um, when it comes to privacy and when it comes to the education of the consumers, I personally strongly feel that it's the onus lies on the manufacturer because they're the ones making the products. They're the ones who hold the data eventually and do whatever they need to do with it, right? So the fact that the retailers, the distributors are feeling obliged, that's great. You know, they're going to make um, a point out of it to tell the consumers and the customers that, look, this is what's going on. But at the end of the day, the manufacturers can just as easily educate their customers through their apps, through the technology that they already have in the homes on what the privacy situation is. For example, Google and Alexa, you can easily go into the apps and delete the voice recordings that you've actually um, 
you've made throughout the day. So you can do that quite easily, but nobody's aware of it. Not many people are. Not many people know that I can actually go there and delete what I've asked or what I've said all day. But if the manufacturers made that apparent and made that clear to the customers within the app that, hey, by the way, if you aren't happy for us to hold the recordings, just go ahead and delete it. This is how to do it. And this is an easy way. But they won't make it apparent because of the fact that that's where they make their money. That's where data is valuable. That's currency, as you said earlier. Um, so they're not necessarily going to shout about it. But at the same time, what they could do is just, you know, make that information accessible. So if somebody is interested in privacy, somebody is actually concerned about it, they could find that information quite easily rather than having to dig around as you did and talk to other tech savvy people who may know, know more than you. I'd agree with that. Just, just to add, things like that should probably be opt-in rather than opt-out. Well, in which case, um, panel and everyone, thank you very much. <laughs>